Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year. I'm Anthony. I'm Julia. And I'm Tom. And I feel like we need to change that tagline to 364 days a year because we're about to kill that spirit right now. Your children are listening. Now would be a good time to pause and come back when you're alone. And what better way to celebrate the kickoff to the Christmas season, officially Christmas in July, than by talking about the year that we all, that every parent dreads, that every kid goes through, the year they find out the truth about Santa Claus, that he does not exist in the way most children think he does. (laughs) I feel like I need to play that really depressing Charlie Brown music right here. Um, that is the right music for this episode. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So we're all going to tell our stories about how we found out the truth. And then what I'm really excited for, we got our spouses and our listeners to submit recordings and stories as well. So yeah, let's just dive right in. Julia, do you want to go first? Yeah. So, um... I'm kind of glad I'm going first because I feel like my story is probably not going to be as earth-shaking as y'all's will both be. Because honestly, my my sad story was a slow decline <laughs> into Santa-lessness. So I'm one of two kids. My brother is seven years older than I am, and he is one of the most creative people I've ever met in my entire life. So I'm going to preface this with saying if we were closer in age, I think I would have lasted a little longer than I did. But given the fact that the Santa legacy was in the hands of my parents, one of which could give a rip about any holiday stuff, my dad, and one of which my mom, who is a huge Christmas fan, but more a Christmas atmosphere and maybe not as much on the Santa presents, um, I they didn't perpetuate what my brother probably would have kept going. So I just remember gradually every year, probably around between six and nine, uh, things getting a little less magical on the Santa side every year. It, it was still a glorious experience Christmas was to me. My mom and I, I mean, it was our thing. We loved it. We would do all the baking. We would do all of the decorating. We got totally into it. But I also feel like we had that real struggle with the spirituality of our Christianity and the way that 
in the late 80s, for some churches, it warred with the idea of Santa, right? Santa taking the emphasis of what Christmas is really about off of churches, basically. Um, so that didn't help. But I don't remember a moment I sat down and had the oh crap moment of none of this is real. It was a it was a slow creep. And well, I think about my kids and how I am sure that my older two are probably making that same creep. They get the satisfaction of having younger siblings where they get to perpetuate the magic of Santa. Uh, they get to help with all of that stuff. And that brings me such joy for them and how I wish I would have had that through a younger sibling, but I didn't. So now all my Christmas kicks are through my kids and with y'all. And <laughs> Tom wanted me to mention before I started talking about my <laughs> unfortunate story, <laughs> I'm filming this, I'm recording this in my 12 year old son's bedroom because right now I am without a laptop. And so I have pillows pushed up against the door and his soundproofing barrier up against the door because I don't want my saddest moment to become their saddest moment live on air. <laughs> so what about y'all? Let me hear your earth shatteringly depressing stories. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mine was at a very young age. I was a young kid. When I was young, um, I lived with my grandparents and from a, a really young age, I developed a love for game shows, especially game shows that involved trivia, my favorite TV show growing up as a kid. Um, starting about five or six was Jeopardy, and that uh, continues to this day. I still love uh, any chance I get to watch Jeopardy. I was almost on Team Jeopardy in eighth grade. I made it to the <sighs> final, I made it to the final round, and not making it was a real bummer for me, but I was at home. I was probably in that five to six age range. I remember being really young and I was watching Family Feud, and I had a question about one of the categories. So I went into the kitchen. My grandfather was in there make, getting ready to make dinner. Uh, he had this old, I remember I remember distinctly, he had this old ceramic Whataburger cup. I know, Anthony, you don't know Whataburger, but Julia, you did. They were, they were the nickel cups. Uh, yeah. It had a buffalo nickel on it, and um, he had had it since like the 60s. And it used to be that you could get a cup of coffee for a nickel at Whataburger if you had your cup. By the time I was a kid, um, it had gone up to a quarter, but whenever we were out and about, he would always stop in and get his quarter coffee. Um, oh. Sitting on the counter, and had cold coffee in it. Um, my grandfather was into cold coffee before that was a thing. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, granddad, what does fictitious mean? And he, he, he told the story up until the day he died. He said, he looked down at me and he just said, well, it's, it's made up. It's pretend, something that we, we pretend or, or make believe. And he said, my eyes immediately filled with tears and I just started bawling. And for the longest time, he didn't know why. The category was apparently named children's fictitious characters. And in this mix was Santa, oh. the Tooth Fairy, the oh, one foul swoop and it was gone. And I remember that that Christmas after that, it was really sad. Uh, my family had told me, you know, of course, I had younger, I had a younger sister and I had younger cousins, and I was not allowed to, to tell them what happened. I had to, you know, continue the uh, the the belief. Um, if I didn't, I would have uh, been in trouble, and I would not have had, I would have not gotten gifts. That's the way it was said, told to me. So I didn't even get that excitement build up, like, hey, let's help your sister. Yeah, it was really depressing, and to this day. I cannot stand watching The Family Feud. 
Um, That's so sad. That is really sad. I I do, I get emotional. They made it even worse by putting Steve Harvey on there, the man who cannot wear a suit that properly fits. Uh, I find Steve Harvey funny. His suits suits are not tailored properly. They come halfway down his hand. I don't understand. He looks like a little boy wearing his dad's jacket. It's as bad as Donald Trump's tie. It's like buy clothes that fit. The, the expressions on his face when somebody gives an outlandish answer, uh, yeah, they make me laugh right. all the time. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. Family Feud is a family show. It's right in the title. Why would they have that as a category? I'd be, I'd be so pissed. Down that night. Yeah. Um, well, it's a good lesson to not let your children watch shows that are not made for children by themselves. I guess the, this year they had the celebrity Family Feud yep. and they had the Kardashians versus the West and Christine put that yeah. on. And I will just tell you this. That did not at all help my disdain for family feud. (laughs) (laughs) So how about you, Anthony? So I was nine. I got to nine, which is pretty lucky. That's pretty late. It is. I was in fourth grade. So most people were like 10, but I was like the cutoff. So I was always the youngest in school growing up. But growing up every year in the mail, I used to get a letter from Santa. You know, those personalized ones you can send away for and tell them a little bit about your kid. And then Santa would write to the kid. So I'd get one of those every year. And I brought it in to show my teacher in the fourth grade. She thought it was cool. I loved my fourth grade teacher. She was always so nice and sweet. But this girl in class named Amanda, she lived down the street from me. We were each other's first crushes and everything. She laughed when she saw the letter and told me flat out, Santa Claus isn't real. And I like said, of course he is. Here's a letter. <laughs> but, um, she uh, was adamant. No, he's not. So I kind of went quiet. Just put it in my backpack. Spent the rest of the day, like, arguing with myself, like, you know, well, whatever. Of course he's real. What does she know? Type arguments with myself. Mm-hmm. So after school, I was in the car with my mother, and I asked her, can I ask you a question? And she said, sure. And I was like, is Santa Claus real? And she paused, and she was like, why would you ask that? And I was like, well... Amanda told me in class, you know, that he wasn't. So I forget what she said. She didn't fly out to say no, but I could tell something was wrong with her. Mm-hmm. I don't think she wanted to tell me herself. She's the emotion, really emotional parent. And uh, so I think she kind of wanted dad to talk to me when he got home later that night, which he did. After my sister went to bed, um, I was in the living room with my parents. I just remember distinctly frosty the snowman was on tv because this was december like probably a week before christmas vacation and uh my dad brings up what happened in class i see my mom tearing up and my dad just comes out with the truth and you know they try to phrase it that nicely you know how i'm sure you've seen articles or whatever on social media nowadays about how to break it to your kids like easy where it's like well it's the spirit of santa you know he's real in our hearts type of thing you know they tried to do something like that but i was an inconsolable mess cried for like an hour with my mother was crying and you know dad was comforting us both (laughs) and um i I distinctly remember and i laugh about it now because it sounds so ridiculous at the time like now in retrospect about the time after he finally calmed me down, I said, you know, I was finally like, well, at least the Easter Bunny. T- 
<laughs> I said, Ellie, please, your bunny's real. <laughs> and I just saw this pause. And my parents just look at one another. And I registered the look in my head. And I was like, wait, does that mean that Easter Bunny's not really? <laughs> and it was, I think, consolable for like another hour. So, like you, Tom, I lost them both in one day. But, uh, yeah. I like that logic, though. Oh, you know, we lost one. Still got this guy. Wait, what? No? <laughs> Um, and yeah, like, so that's a big joke now in my, amongst my family. (laughs) That was my reaction. But yeah, like you, Tom, like, my parents are very like, you can't tell your sister, you won't get any presents, things like that. So it was awful, awful. Ever ever since that day, I've just felt the need. Every time I see a child looking with that wonder in their eye about Santa, I just say, you know, he's not real, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, could you imagine a grown man doing that to a child? What did you even do? Uh. I've seen videos of that one uh, really oh, that religious preacher? preacher guy who goes into malls with a video camera during the Christmas season and starts shouting, Santa's not real in the line at the mall. He's such a... Shark face. Yeah, he does it because yeah. he, he's, he's talking about Jesus. I don't know how that's related in his book, how that's uh, something you know that he read in the gospel, but... So why don't we play our spouse's recordings, starting with, well, let's just do it the order we did it. So Marty. Hey, everybody. This is Marty, Julia's husband. She asked me to record something that talks about my worst Christmas ever when I stopped believing in Santa. I don't necessarily remember when that happened. I don't have any really great stories of coming downstairs and seeing my parents you know, throwing presents under the tree or anything like that. I think that it just happened little by little. I do remember, you know, one Christmas I asked for something. It was a pair of shoes. I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, I'll just say it was like a pair of Air Jordans. And um, when I woke up Christmas morning, I went down. I got a pair of shoes, but they weren't the Jordans that I wanted. They were some off-brand. They were still cool. I still wore them. They were great. But I went back to school, and one of my friends had asked for the exact same pair of shoes, and they got it. Um, so I knew that Santa wouldn't give me a certain kind of shoes, you know, a generic brand of Air Jordans and then give my friend the the actual ones. Um, so I think just little by little, I just realized that it probably wasn't real. So thank you guys. This has been really fun. Can I just say what a big deal it was that Marty recorded that because he's not a attention loving guy so he was he was nervous but I'm proud of him I'm proud of him too I'm proud of all our spouses because Sarah yeah. definitely wasn't up for recording either so after listening to yours and Marty's stories you both kind of found out like naturally right yep absolutely are you happy happy you found out naturally rather than an abrupt like somebody just ruining the magic for you quite quite happy that's our goal for everybody else in our household as well for it to be that gradual i was about to ask does your daughter still believe in santa we've not had a hard confirmation she doesn't but of all of our kids i would imagine she probably right my nephew was the same way he's 13 and he's like as of the last year or the year before he still hadn't told my my mom and sister that he doesn't believe 
But it's like, come on, we know. Well, well, it's a thing, right? Like it I see, it's kind of like you. It's almost kind of like kids fear they'll stop getting the gifts once they know it's coming from mom and dad instead of Santa. Yeah. Well, and I think there's that last step of vocalization too, right? Mm-hmm. Like where they're still clinging to the idea, like they're 99% sure it's not, but what about that last little bit? And when they vocalize it, it's like, poof, that's it. No going back. I did mean to say with my story, my parents still though, she'll sign all the gifts from Santa except for like one or two. My mom does too. I appreciate that. So this is the part where we were supposed to play Christine's recording, but we don't have one. She didn't do one. She got a little bit self-conscious, which is totally okay. But we did receive a recording late from Rebecca in England. And since we now have a little bit of open space here, we'll play it now. So let's take a listen. So I was... Eight years old when I found out that Santa was not a guy in a big red suit. Um, my older cousin decided to tell me and I cried so much. Um, I was really upset about it and I went away and I thought about it and to me it made a lot of sense that he wasn't what I thought he was. But I was kind of upset that the idea of him was gone. So, a few days later, my dad and I are standing in the kitchen and he brings up the fact that, obviously, that I had learned the big secret. And I pointed out to him that I still had a Santa and that he was standing right there with me in the kitchen. And I think that's what everyone should take away from learning, that there's no official Santa Claus. I wonder if if that trauma, that, that heartbreak, is, is part of what gave us our love for Christmas. We want that nostalgia back. I don't know. Could Maybe. be. Yeah. Can I say, though, I still, whenever I see, I don't, whenever I see the Easter Bunny in malls, I still have traumatic flashbacks. Not so much when I see Santa, but when I see the Easter Bunny, I still uh, have horrific flashbacks. I was never a big Easter Bunny fan. It always seemed weird to me. Why is an Easter bunny? Why does a bunny have eggs? I remember that from a very young age. Why does the bunny have anything to do with eggs? So, did you believe that the Easter bunny was a giant bunny or like a regular sized rabbit? Oh, definitely a big, big rabbit, like Donnie Darko rabbit. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, I, I only ask because Sarah's and her brothers thought he was regular sized. What? How's he yeah. like all that junk around if he's a little regular sized bunny? Weird Canadians. No <laughs> Speaking of weird Canadians. <laughs> Speaking of weird Canadians. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> Here's Sarah's story. Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, I'm Anthony's wife, and this is a story about how I found out the truth about Santa Claus. It was Christmas, I believe. I was in the third grade. Baby sister Kelly was the big toy that everyone wanted. And of course, being a Barbie lover and an eight-year-old girl, that was top of my list. Um, It's all I would talk about to my parents. I would go to the store. I would look at it. I remember going to Zeller's and just staring for 
what felt like hours, but it was probably actually a few minutes just looking at all the dolls in the store, just getting so excited about finally getting it for Christmas. So Christmas comes and, you know, to my joy, I did get the doll that I wanted. Um, You know, baby sister Kelly was under the tree. Fortunately, it also had the Zeller sticker on it. Um, And I did not believe that Santa Claus would shop there. I approached my parents and I asked them, you know, I said, why is there a Zeller sticker on it? So they told me um, that Santa's elves, you know, sometimes go out for him and shop. I was, you know, I was eight. I kind of had my doubts, I guess, seated in my mind already. So that cemented it for me. So that kind of goes down in history as, I guess, the worst Christmas. I just kind of sulked to myself all day. I have younger brothers. I didn't tell them. I didn't want them to feel my sadness. So I guess that was, I guess, my worst Christmas. Oh, that's on sad. Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's sad. Chris, yeah. And I thought mine was bad a week before. Oh God. I remember baby sister Kelly, by the way. Do you? I really wanted one. I never got one. Oh, that's sad. But it's so good to hear Sarah's voice. I feel I've heard Christine's voice. I've I've heard Marty's voice once or twice. So it was neat to hear Sarah's voice. She was nervous. She yeah, did, really well. didn't want to record, but. <laughs> She did it, so I'm so proud funny, of her. funny, all of our spouses are <laughs> like that. <laughs> and then when I was listening to it earlier, because I was going through the email earlier listening to them all, I uh, she was in the room. She was like, turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Sarah. Yeah, uh, thanks, I think those price tags are a thing you have to watch out for because my sister also sent in a recording, and uh, yeah, so. All right, let's, let's cue her up here. Hi, so I'm Anthony's sister, and he had asked me to do a recording about how I found out Santa wasn't real. A couple months before Christmas, I went shopping with my mom, and I saw her buy all these things, and I saw like little bat, like tote ba- a tote bag of like Winnie the Pooh characters in her car, and I think it was a lava lamp for Anthony. I saw her buy. But I didn't really question it because she said it was for, like, her friend's kids or something. I don't know. And then on Christmas, I saw Anthony open the lava lamp. And I said, who's that from? Thinking he was going to say mom because I saw the lava lamp. And he said Santa. And then I opened the Winnie the Pooh tote bag because it was a gift for me. And I noticed that the tag had said to Annalisa from Santa. So I put two and two together that Santa wasn't real. But instead of saying anything right then and there, I just kept opening my gifts with Anthony. And then he went downstairs to play his new PlayStation game. And I had no idea Anthony knew Santa wasn't real already because he was older, so he already knew. But I went downstairs to just flat out tell him and ruin his Christmas too I guess but yeah so I found out Santa wasn't real on Christmas day by myself and no one told me so it was you know 11 years of lies but whatever yeah (laughs) (laughs) she 
just sounds a little bitter at you still, Anthony. I'm not going to lie. She, she's still bitter about it to this day. How old is your sister? <laughs> she's two and a half years younger than me, so 25, 26. You guys hold grudges, man. It's a New York thing. <laughs> But she came downstairs and told me, you know, Santa's not real. I was like, at this point, I'd been warned, you do not tell your sister. Right. So I'm like, what are you talking about? As I'm playing the game, and she's like, she's basically said the story she just told us. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. You're probably wrong. I'd go talk to mom and dad if I were you. And in my head, I was thinking... Darn it, if she knows, now we're going to get less gifts under the tree. But, <laughs> but yeah. you're going to be like, did they tell you about the Easter Bunny too? <laughs> <laughs> Don't get your hopes up, kid. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, see, I was such a good brother. I kept it from her for however long I knew before her. And then That's she, it. yeah, and then she came to tell me the minute she found out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> We also have a submission from Brian Earl of Christmas Past Podcast, so why don't we listen to that now? Hi everyone, this is Brian Earl from Christmas Past. Every year when I was growing up, the Christmas season announced itself with the arrival of the toy catalogs in the mail. They were essentially the first Christmas cards of the year, and they'd come from Sears and regional New England chains like Caldor and Bradley's and Service Merchandise. I still remember the smell of the ink and the binding glue and the finishing spray that gave the pages their glossy sheen and captured perfectly preserved fingerprints from me and my siblings as we poured over every page. This was mainly during the 80s when retailers could still afford to produce hundreds of thousands of phone book sized full color catalogs and a decade that produced more than twice its share of popular culture. We'd study the pages with all the scrutiny of a treasure hunter deciphering an ancient map. He-Man slippers, glow worms, a Pac-Man portable game, X-Wing fighters and TIE fighters, Hungry Hungry Hippos, E.T. and Mr. T. and Tycho race sets, Teddy Ruxpin, Speak and Spell, Atari cartridges, Transformers. It was the sacred text, cataloging, literally cataloging the heart's desires of every child in America and bringing our anticipation to a boil faster than you can say Thundercats ho. And one year, I remember something that really caught my eye. A set of magic tricks called Chinese Illusions of Magic. It was your standard children's magic set with linking rings and sponge rabbits and cups and balls. There were instructions and props for cutting and restoring a length of rope, for making small objects disappear. There were various silks and thimbles and plastic wands and maybe even a top hat, though I'm hazy on that one. I'd recently taken an interest in magic. David Copperfield and Doug Henning appeared in frequent primetime TV specials, ones that interrupted regularly scheduled airings of Chips or Hardcastle and McCoy. I loved everything about magic, and so I was completely taken in by the catalog copy for Chinese illusions of magic. Something about mystic secrets from the Orient, hidden away for thousands of years, revealed for the first time. I knew I had to have it. This was my version of Ralphie's Red Rider BB gun. The one toy that captured my imagination completely. That I'd think about as I drifted off to sleep. I'd look at the catalog page again and again, practically memorizing the description and its promises. Amaze your friends. Everything you need to put on a spectacular magic show. 
It would be magical. I would be magical. But what I didn't know at the time was that Chinese illusions of magic would play a central role in the day the real magic faded. Belief in Santa is gradual to dissolve. It's not an either-or proposition. It's human nature to hold on to deeply held beliefs, even in the face of unassailable evidence and sterling logic. So the belief erodes. It gets chipped away. By an overheard comment on the schoolyard. By a slip of the tongue from a grown-up. By little observations and logical connections made here and there. Why does Santa use the same wrapping paper as my parents? How does he get the toys from service merchandise? And come on, how does he fit down the chimney anyway? But some part of us wants to keep on believing, wants the magic to be real. And besides, there's an incentive to keep on believing. If Santa's real, then he can keep on bringing you presents every Christmas, and that's more presents all around, or so the child's logic goes. I don't recall exactly how, but I remember that by this time, my belief in Santa had already started getting chipped away. Maybe it was something said by one of the older kids on the cul-de-sac. Maybe it was Kyle Keenan. That sounds like something Kyle Keenan would do. Anyway, my belief was mostly intact, but some of the load-bearing structure had been damaged. Like a game of Jenga, just waiting for that one crucial piece to be removed and bring the whole thing crumbling down. And that would happen on Christmas morning. At first light, my siblings and I, all five of us, barreled down the stairs and into the living room to marvel at all of the wrapped boxes under the Christmas tree and spilling out toward the middle of the room. There were gifts on the hearth, on the mantel, some even stuck between the branches of the tree. Large boxes, small boxes, some gifts too large to wrap and presented with only a stick-on plastic bow and ribbon. We'd squeeze and shake the wrapped packages, heft them to gauge their weight and estimate their contents, ruling out the obvious socks and underwear, the handmade items from aunts and neighbors that we'd feign excitement over. There were gift tags identifying the giver, auntie this or that, Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so from up the block, mommy and daddy, and of course, the man himself. I was sifting through the piles in search of the one that just had to be it, the one that kept me from sleep the night before, the one that had me practically shaking with anticipation now. And there it was, in the back corner, a largish box, maybe the size of a microwave, large enough, I thought, to contain everything you need to put on a spectacular magic show. And written on the gift tag, To Brian, from Santa. The way it worked was my parents would stumble downstairs, bleary-eyed and in desperate need of strong coffee, and we could rifle through our stockings unsupervised while they got their bearings and devised a system for distributing the gifts. They generally hand one to each of the five of us and tell us to let her rip. But there was always an uneven number of presents, meaning some of us would have to sit around out here and there. The whole process seemed to take hours. There were flurries of wrapping paper and camera flashes and shrieks of surprise and delight. There was film to change and small mid-action cleanups and bathroom breaks and stern rebukes when the excitement started getting out of hand. And through all of this, that microwave-sized package sat there, its festive wrap taunting me. I couldn't focus on anything else. The Mork from Ork pull-string talking doll, the Stretch Armstrong, an E.T. something or other, watching my brother open a Smurf, my sister open a strawberry shortcake, all just hurdles I had to jump to get to the real thing. Direct from Santa's workshop or service merchandise or however the heck it worked, it didn't matter. 
All that mattered was that it was there, and it was mine, and it was just a matter of time before I unwrapped it. And then the moment arrived, as it was bound to do. And because of the way the number of presents was staggered, it was just me this round. I was opening the last gift of the last round, and all eyes were on me as I blurted out before I could help myself, it's gotta be Chinese illusions of magic. And in that moment, right there, in a living room at the end of a cul-de-sac in Stoughton, Massachusetts, on a Christmas morning in 1980-something, right in that moment, the final piece fell. Because just as I blurted that out, I saw my parents glance at each other. The kind of glance that parents develop to communicate non-verbally. The kind that can communicate, what do you think? Or, I'm not so sure about this. Or, don't worry, I've got this. But this glance was none of those. This was the glance that said clearly and unmistakably, Oh, sh**. I caught the glance, but it didn't stop me from frantically clawing the paper off the box like a cat attacking its prey ripping and untaping to reveal not Chinese illusions of magic. I don't even remember what it was. Maybe some kind of art set or some nondescript car or truck toy. What I do remember is how in that moment I put all the pieces together for myself. They knew that the gift from Santa, the one that I was about to open, wasn't what I was hoping it would be. And they felt bad or guilty or something about it. And there was only one way that could be true. I had finally and inevitably crossed one of the first thresholds out of childhood. In the next couple of Christmases, I experienced probably my earliest feelings of nostalgia. Saw my youngest siblings, a brother and sister pair of twins, talking about Santa Claus, and realizing, as best a kid of my age could, that I'd never go back to that time, even though I may have tried once or twice to will myself to believe again. The next year, I actually did get the Chinese Illusions of Magic set, and this time with a gift tag that read from Mommy and Daddy. And it really was everything I hoped it would be. I amazed my friends. I put on a spectacular magic show. But a little bit of the real magic was gone. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my story. I'd like to invite you to check out Christmas Past wherever you get your podcasts, and please do come pay me a visit over at christmaspast.media. That's where you can find videos, quizzes, and articles all about the fascinating stories behind Christmas traditions and Christmas nostalgia. Again, that's christmaspast.media. Can I just say, A, I love Brian's voice. Oh, yeah. B, the way he was talking about all those catalogs of the toys, I used to love those. Service merchandise was my jam. Whenever they came in the mail, like, that's how you knew, A, Christmas is right around the corner, but B, you'd go through, I'd go there with a pen and circle the things I want, I'd put on my list. Yeah. Oh. Yes. I still do that with catalogs. I get out a Sharpie marker and I circle stuff I like. Never buy it, but mm. I get satisfaction circling it. <laughs> that's awesome service merchandise I remember service merchandise what was the, my big store though I think as a kid was Kmart Kmart my, mine was Kmart and JCPenney Penny's had a good catalog yeah they Penny. did do y'all call it pennies too Anthony or is that a south thing I knew that was I knew the south does it but we don't do it no oh y'all don't say pennies no oh interesting my grandma worked for Eckerd which was a pharmacy and they were briefly acquired by JCPenney. And when they were briefly acquired, my grandma hit like her 30th anniversary or something. And she had now, they were only acquired, they were only owned for like a year, but she got a lifetime discount card to JCPenney. So most of our Christmas presents come from there now. 
Wow. Heck yeah. <laughs> the, the Sears catalog is also good. All the catalogs, yeah. just all of them. Toys R Us, obviously, yeah. their flyers or whatever that came in the mail. Oh, mm-hmm. I miss those days. I do too. Thanks, Brian, for that submission. That was. Yeah, and he was another one who found out gradually, which was so. Mm -hmm. He made it sound so poetic too, you know. He really did. (laughs) He really did. The poetry of the poetry of loss. (laughs) Have you guys seen his new website yet? I did. It's really nice. Really, really nice. Um, If you haven't checked it out, check it out. He's doing some cool stuff on social media too. And download his podcast if you haven't. Um, They're all pretty poetic. While we're talking about our friends uh, in the podcasting world, I did ask Lee from Christmas Stocking to uh, to submit his story, and I got a response from him that I feel like we need to read. Lee just replied back and said, no thanks, I don't believe your so-called truth, but I don't want to get into a cable news style argument about it. <laughs> that was one of the best responses I think we could have could have uh, gotten. And if you haven't yet, check out mychristmasstocking.net and the My Christmas Stock in the Christmas Stocking podcast. I had asked Tim Babb a while ago on Twitter when we were planning the Mickey's Christmas Carol episode, which is coming up in September, mm-hmm. and he's going to be a guest host. And he said he didn't have a story to share. So, but you should check out his podcast. Can't wait for Christmas because he's a really funny guy. So we also received a submission from an audio submission from Deborah. Why don't we take a listen to that? My older cousins dropped the Santa bombshell on me when I was around nine. I'm 30 now. Um, they were told to take me to see Santa, and I remember being so excited about going to the mall to see him and asking my cousins what they were going to ask for. And I must have annoyed them because that's when they said, Santa isn't real. He has never been real. The only reason we're going to see him is because of you. All I could do was cry. They didn't try to comfort me at all. I didn't say anything to my mom or their dad, my uncle, what they said. I pretended I wasn't feel- I was feeling sick so I could stay home. But something happened on Christmas Eve that forever changed my view. We were at the family house and everyone was out for the night. My mom was fast asleep and I was up watching TV since Santa wasn't real. I had no reason to go to sleep early, right? But I heard movement on the roof. A normal person would have thought someone was trying to break in. My young mind still jumped to Santa. I swear I even heard jingles. But it's that single moment removed everything my cousins told me and made me a believer forever. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry on behalf of your cousins, Deborah. <laughs> oh my awful. gosh, kids can be real jerks. Let me just tell you. <laughs> Let's end on what a high did? note, though. That ended on a high note. It that did. did. I that. Yeah, and I love that ending. And I think, I mean, I came around to believing in Santa again. Mm-hmm. That was great, Deborah. That was great. It was. Thanks for sharing. We also got an audio submission from our friend Wes, so why don't we take a listen to that? Hi, Julia, Tom, and Anthony. This is Wes from Metro Detroit uh, calling in, saying that I absolutely love the show. wanted to share my story, which comes not actually from the Christmas season, but rather from Easter, 
where when I was about 10 or 11, my, uh, the Easter Bunny had gotten uh, some multiplication table game uh, for me. And in my complaining about how difficult it was, uh, a few days later, my mom came out and said, if I thought they were too hard for you, I wouldn't have gotten them in which my entire world came crashing down at that point. But I think that it's a combination of both the idea that um, I found out about the Easter Bunny and not Santa Claus directly, and then uh, that I had a brother who was six years younger, that really, um, that sort of isolation of uh, the Easter Bunny thing helped me keep that magic alive, which is obviously why I think I still have a uh, such a love for Christmas and, and love listening to your show as well as some of the others that I found through the House of the Seven Santas last year. So um, please keep it up. I uh, love listening every week and looking forward to another collaboration this Christmas season. That's so sad. That is so sad. That's also so nice. It's so funny how the Easter Bunny and Santa seem to be bedfellows in a lot of these stories. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of that too. And Goes- shame on the moms that are really making some major errors and a few of these leaving tags on stuff. And <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask, Wes, did your mom feel guilty afterward? She must have, right? I would hope. Also, how old were you? Just out of curiosity. Oh, yeah. Let us know that. But thanks for sharing, and I'm glad you liked the podcast. We're looking forward to another uh, inter-podcast collaboration this season, too. Definitely. So we got some text submissions as well. Um, this one I'm going to read is from Disco54, one of our listeners you hear from quite a bit. Uh, this is what he said. To understand this, we need to go back to the 1980s. Also, bear in mind that this first part is bits I picked up along the way as I got older because I was obviously a kid. So, my dad was a coal miner and in the 1980s, there was a year long strike. So in our town and lots of towns, it was going to be a pretty poor Christmas. Now, we as a family had always made a big deal of Christmas. So this year was going to be hard. No presents, no turkey, no tree. I was about nine, so didn't really understand why things were so different. My dad had either lost touch or had an argument with his family and didn't speak to them. I'm not sure which, but apparently the day before Christmas Eve of that year, his sister came to our house while I was at school and gave him some money and told him it was for Christmas. It was a gift, no obligation, no need to repay, no need for thanks, just have a Christmas. So the year that we almost didn't have Christmas, we did. And that's why I believe in Christmas magic. So based on that, I was ready to believe in Father Christmas. I'm a limey. Y'all can call him Santa if you want, but I know his real name for a (laughs) long time. But a few years later, even I had to admit that finding the presents was getting a bit too easy. A few years after that, and I was getting in from the pub, and the presents were already under the tree, and the magic was really gone. In my opinion, the worst years are the years between realizing there's no Santa and settling down with someone and starting your own Christmas traditions. Once you do that, the magic begins again. You start being Santa for someone and that is the real satisfaction. Hashtag become someone Santa. Cheers. I love that. Isn't that great? (laughs) That is. We got to get that hashtag trending. We really do. Absolutely. Yeah, I told Disco that I was claiming his story. I wanted to read it. So I'm pretty excited I got to. (laughs) Awesome. 
Yeah, no, I love that. I do have a question for Disco, though. You said your father was a coal miner. So are you from Northern England? I forget whether or not you said. I just know when I lived in Newcastle, every time I got into a taxi, they would talk about how Margaret Thatcher ruined the coal mining industry in Northern England. So uh, I'm just wondering if that's where you're from, because that's pretty cool if you are, because I love Northern England. Uh, I love England in general, so if you're not from Northern England, that's cool too, but I'm just curious. But <laughs> so the hashtag really should be hashtag um, be someone's Father Christmas, not be someone's Santa. <laughs> yeah. What's your opinion on fa- the whole Father Christmas <laughs> thing, Julie? Father Christmas sounds magical, a lot more magical to me than Santa, but it's always Santa. You yeah. Know? Same. I love Father Christmas. So beautiful. Me too. He probably has a closer connection to Father Time too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks for sharing that, Disco. That was an awesome story. Yeah. You've got another one, don't you, Anthony? Yes. This is our last uh, submission. It's from Andrew, who interacts with us a lot on Reddit. His name is That Revit Guy. And he writes in, I was eight years old when I found out. My parents had gotten divorced the summer prior, and my mother and I were living with her new boyfriend, the man who had become my adopted father just a few short years later. Money was tight for them, so when I asked Santa for a Sega Game Gear, the hottest handheld video game console of the early 90s, there's no way that was going to happen. I woke up early on Christmas morning and received from Santa a handheld Casio keyboard and some loose Hershey Kisses laid out lovingly on a side table next to the couch. I'm certain my reaction was that of a typical eight-year-old who didn't get what they wanted, but for some reason I bawled my eyes out quietly as I realized the truth about Santa. I didn't catch my parents or anything like that, but somehow I just knew that he wasn't real. As it turns out, my grandparents bought and sent it to me, and sent to me the Sega Game Gear I asked for at the behest of my parents, so that I would still get what I asked for, which is a wonderful gesture. This story actually leads to what ended up being one of my most treasured and memorable Christmases ever. My adoptive father loved Christmas and made sure to pull out all the stops for us kids when it came to decorating and gift giving. One year, I awoke to see a bicycle situated on the roof next to the chimney, which is right outside of my bedroom window. Perplexed, I went downstairs and opened my Christmas stocking, which contained a letter from Santa, explaining that he could not fit the bike down the chimney and that hopefully my father would help me get it down. It was truly the most memorable Christmas experience I've ever had and filled my heart with that Christmas spirit I thought I had lost a few years prior. My dad passed away when I was 17, so Christmases without him are hard. But with kids of my own, I try my best to live up to those awesome Christmas memories he created for me. I know there's no Santa, but that doesn't mean I don't believe to this day. I hope you enjoyed the small story about my experience. I look forward to hearing from you all from you all on your own soon. Take care. I oh, love that. Yeah, I love that too. The oh. bike on the roof. Could you imagine? How magical would that be to wake yeah. up to? It really would. That is absolutely magical. Yeah. And that's so awesome. Your grandparents sent you the Sega game gear and oh I love I love that story. All these stories are just so great. We're so appreciative of those of y'all that took the time to write and record and send them in because I mean, y'all make this so much more fun than just three of us sitting around talking to each other. So Thank and you, you may have you may have noticed it's two of us now, and that's because Tom <laughs> had some personal business to attend to. So it's just the two of us finishing this episode. But he's here in spirit. Always. Always. I do have a question for you though, Julia. Which yeah. that email prompted me. 
to come up with. So, did when you were growing up, did anyone ever dress as Santa for like the kids in the family? Like, did you ever catch Santa leaving gifts under the tree or anything like that? No. So there is a picture when so I was born in Dallas, um, but grew up in Houston. There's a picture of me when we were still in Dallas, so I was two or three, um, screaming in terror because. Santa had visited the house on Christmas Eve, our house in Dallas, and I was completely freaked out by him. So I don't have a memory of it, but there's photographic evidence. And um, I was not a fan, apparently, of that. So no, I never did. Did you? There are pictures of my uncle dressed as Santa at like one of my mother's side of the family's big Christmas Eve parties. So mm-hmm. for all the kids, but I don't remember. He doesn't look like a good Santa. He's too way too thin. Yeah. Like so. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm sure as a kid, like we loved it. So. Yeah. That's so funny. But you know, what I love about all of these stories we got. It's the what? fact that they all, minus my sister, who's still a bit better, <laughs> uh, they all ended with people finding the magic again after they stopped. After they found out the truth, they found some way to believe again, and I think that's. Santa's all about, right? Absolutely. 100%. So in that spirit, I thought we would read the famous editorial printed in the Sun newspaper from 1897 in which the editor wrote to Virginia O'Hanlon who wrote in asking if Santa was real and prompted the famous response, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. So enjoy. Virginia, your little friends are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except what they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their little minds. All minds, Virginia, whether they be men's or children's, are little. In this great universe of ours, man is a mere insect, an ant, in his intellect as compared with the boundless world about him as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole truth and knowledge. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist, and you know that they abound and give to your life its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary would the world be if there were no Santa Claus. It would be as dreary as if there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment except in sense and sight. The eternal light with which childhood fills the world would be extinguished. Not believe in Santa Claus. You might as well not believe in fairies. You might get your papa to hire men to watch in all the chimneys on Christmas Eve to catch Santa Claus. But even if they did not see Santa Claus coming down, what would that prove? Nobody sees Santa Claus, but that is no sign that there is no Santa Claus. The most real things in the world are those that neither children nor men can see. Did you ever see fairies dancing on the lawn? Of course not, but that's no proof that they are not there. Nobody can conceive or imagine all the wonders that are unseen and unseeable in the world. You may tear apart the baby's rattle and see what makes the noise inside, but there's a veil covering the unseen world which not the strongest man, nor even the united strength of all the strongest men that ever lived could tear apart. Only faith, fancy, poetry, love, romance can push aside the curtain 
and view and picture the supernatural beauty and glory beyond. Is it all real? Ah, Virginia. In all this world, there's nothing else real and abiding. No Santa Claus. Thank God. He lives and he lives forever. A thousand years from now, Virginia, nay, ten times ten thousand years from now, he will continue to make glad the heart of childhood. me so many feels <laughs> so yeah that's our bonus episode guys you know if you haven't done so already you can like and comment and review our podcast on itunes share our web pages because all that helps more people find us and helps us to spread the christmas cheer 365 days per year and if you're listening to this the day we drop it there are under 21 weeks until christmas day Oh, that is so close, Julia. It is so close. It gives us 22 weeks to be someone Santa, guys. Yeah, or Father Christmas. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, everybody, for all of your contributions, even if you're just listening out there and enjoying all of our stories. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we definitely have to try to do something like this again because I love hearing people's voices and their stories. I do too. I do too. Yeah. So if you have any ideas for another episode like this we can do, what you'd like to share or want to hear from us, let us know. So until Monday, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Short one. Bye, guys. Bye. I believe in Santa Claus, but there was a time I thought I had grown too old For such a childish rhyme He became a dream to me Till one Christmas night Someone stood beside my bed With a beard of white So you're too Santa Claus He said with a smile Then you're too old For all the things That make a life worthwhile For what is happiness But dreams And do they all come true Look at me And tell me, son What is real?